Hush Money is a production of iHeartRadio. This is Hush Money, a show about all the money subjects you're too uncomfortable to talk about. But we're not. I'm Nicole Lappin, money expert and author of the books Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch. And I'm Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And we believe if you don't talk about money, you're never going to make any of it. So let's start talking. Each episode, Nicole and I will debate a tricky question about money and then bring in a celebrity judge to decide who's right. So let's get uncomfortable. I have a terrible game. It's called Sad Trivia. You want to play? Ooh, that sounds like an offer I can't refuse, Jason. I know. Here it is. What is the average American's student loan debt? Um, 40 grand? Close. It's $47,671, according to a survey from NerdWallet. Ugh, that's a lot. I know. But it actually sounds great compared to this. I graduated NYU with $111,000 of student loan debt. Oof. That is my friend Kira. And Kira was not happy about that amount of debt, of course. But she's really good at financial planning. So she was tackling it strategically and feeling confident. But then she met this guy at work named Clint and they started dating and she really liked him. And now she was getting nervous because, you know. It was in the back of my mind, like, you know, as we're getting serious, This could be his debt one day, and does he want to deal with that? Honestly, I wouldn't want to deal with it. She's got to tell him. You can't keep this big secret from somebody you're serious about. Right. And and she knew that, but she didn't know when to tell him. So six months go by, and one day they're talking about careers and places they want to travel, and she feels like, this is it. This is the moment. So she says it. She's in $111,000 in debt. I I think Clint's response was, he didn't say a lot, but it was something, it was was definitely shock, you know? So it was like, oh, that's a lot of money. He was kind of processing it. And as he was processing it, I was kind of like, oh, crap. I don't know what he's thinking right now. Is he (laughs) freaking out? That's Clint laughing in the background, by the way. And here's him remembering that moment. I think it was still me trying to get my mind around it a little bit in the sense of um, like, yeah, I just I for one, I didn't even understand how that was possible. Yeah. You know what? It shouldn't be possible. It's insane that we live in a country where someone can go into one hundred and eleven thousand dollars in debt to get an education. That should not be possible. Amen. But these were the facts. And so Kira just started talking to Clint like he's her banker. She was like, listen, I'm really responsible. You know, I'm making all my payments. I've never been late. I've never, um, you know, my credit's great, which I mean, honestly, I do think is a part of the debt conversation. Like, you know, you could have debt and you could ignore it. And then that follows you around forever or you can take control of it. I just say, too, as I'm looking back, I consider myself pretty financially responsible. And so I think the fact she was so sort of like upset by this and took it very seriously and she had been paying all her loans like very aggressively, I think it probably had more of a positive impact on the way that I thought about us. And the story has a happy ending. That all happened in 2012, and they got married in 2016. I was there. And within the past year, Kira paid off the rest of her debt, and they bought a house, and they are definitely two of the most financially thoughtful people I know. I love that. 
they really made finances a part of their relationship, which it should be. But I have to say, after hearing this, if I were dating someone and I learned that they were more than a hundred grand in debt, I'd probably been like, see ya. I'm not going to stick around for all that. That is so cold. I mean, I've been in debt before, dude. I'm done with it. I'm like out of there. No exceptions. I'm not going back. All right. All right. All right. This now gets to the big question of our episode. Is debt a deal breaker? Is debt a reason to not date someone? Nicole, you clearly say yes. I'm going to say no. So we're going to debate. And then at the end, as always, we're going to bring on a celebrity judge to decide who's right. And today we have Hill Harper, an actor known right now for his role in ABC as The Good Doctor, but who also happens to know a lot about debt and has written some books on how to deal with it. So, Nicole, are you ready to tell me why this happy couple Clinton Kira shouldn't have kept dating? Jason, that's not what I'm going to argue. You know that. But yes, I am (laughs) definitely ready to tell you why I think someone shouldn't take on someone else's debt. All right. Let's do it after the break. Okay, so, Nicole, the question is, is debt a deal breaker? And I want to start with you because you have what I feel like is a controversial position here. Shocking, right? Yes. Not the first time. Not the first time. it won't be the last it time. It will not. But for right now, if you've got I, debt, hold on to your hats. I think debt is a deal breaker. I think it can be. You know, listen, I'm not talking for everybody, but I was in a long-term relationship, so I missed out on the dating app world for a while until I was single. And I looked at how these filters are done with like height and location and all that stuff. Now, I think what's more important than if a guy is 5'10 or 5'11 is whether or not he has boatloads of debt. And if you got your financial shit together, I don't think it's smart to be taking on somebody else's debt. And you're going to have to filter anyway. I mean, When you were single, Jason, like, look at your face. You're so cute. I'm sure you just had women throwing (laughs) themselves at you. Yes. You have to filter somehow. Right. And I think that's as as good of a filter as anything else, if not a better one. So you want an actual debt filter. Like, somebody should have to be up front. But because there isn't a debt filter in real life. Debt is the only four-letter word I don't like. How do you... (laughs) Do you ask people about their debt? Or do you like try to sniff it out? Or do you like, no, like I how don't, do you but learn I think about that this? Financial infidelity is one of the biggest causes of divorce. Do you know what that is? No. It's like when somebody is lying to you about money. So uh-huh. if they owe somebody money or if they have a bunch of debt that they didn't tell you about and they're lying about it, it's like infidelity with cheating. It's financial cheating. And so it's hard to tell. So I'm not saying that. I would use an app now because that doesn't exist. I'm just saying in theory that would be a very helpful filter. More so than eye color and all that other But I want to take it out of the hypothetical because as far as I know, Tinder is not including a debt filter. You can reach out to them. But let's just say that somebody, just like in our setup of this episode, they came out early and they were like, listen, really dig you. Oh, my God. Super into what's happening here, man. But I got a lot of debt. I think it's you have to weigh it along with everything else. Listen, if if I'm super head over heels in love, that's like a different story. If I haven't been in that situation, I'm just... What do you think we would do? Going back into the theoretical... What would you do? Wait, I've been talking a lot, which is... (laughs) You're on the hot seat. Common. Yeah. But what is your take on it? Well, so I, I should caveat this, which is that I also haven't... I haven't had to live... With a decision, because I've dated people before who were in debt, 
and it didn't bother me. I was just like, you know what? If this happens, if this becomes the thing, the relationship, then I'll just I'll just like absorb their debt. I'll like live with it. We'll pay it down together. I I mean I was totally like fine with that. It didn't it didn't seem like a problem to me. And then and then, you know, I mean just to be like fully upfront with you and our listeners, uh the I mean the woman that I married, Jen came with no debt. So I didn't have to face that, but I would have. I it just it never gave me pause. Well, I think there there was a New York Times article about this that said that women I believe, who got their financial shit together, which obviously I advocate Mm -hmm. and take control of your financial destiny. Yeah. If you have that all in order and you're like, I just paid down my student debt or, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden you meet somebody with like 200 grand in debt. Like that's a serious consideration. Yes. That is something that I just feel should be on the table with all the other things that people look for in a mate. Right. But to me, what would matter is whether or not they have a plan and they take that debt seriously. Sure. Because, I, you know, like, okay, stat time. Northwestern Mutual data. <laughs> Average American is carrying how much in debt? What do you think? Average American is carrying 20 grand. 38. 38 grand in debt. And the group with the highest debt is older millennials ages 25 to 34 who are carrying $42,000 in debt. Uh, 25% of all debt is credit card debt. And the more educated you are, the more debt you have, which is interesting. But what kind of debt? Because not all debt is created equal. More educated, more student debt, probably, which is like good debt. Like avocados are good fats. So this is crazy. No, it's actually not just student debt. So this comes from debt.org. The more educated you are, the more debt you have. That's because higher education leads to higher income and higher income leads to higher spending. Again, it's a balance. But I think that you would be naive to not take that into consideration because that's going to affect your life. Yes. So I would look at it and I would say I wouldn't just be like, you know, come one, come all, bring your debt. Like I'm here to I'm here to absorb your debt. But I would say if you're serious about budgeting and like planning Like, I could trust them to combine finances and to go forth into the world and, like, let's tackle your debt together. Sure. But that, to me, feels quite different from being like, you know what, debt. I'm a delinquent. Yeah. I have all sorts of issues, which can speak to their character. I had somebody ask me about my credit score on the first date. I think he thought that I would be really into that because of what I do. I wasn't super into it. (laughs) I really wasn't. He said something very interesting. I think he did tell me his credit score. I don't remember what it was. Obviously, I don't even remember his name because there was no second date. But he said that it was the most accurate way to determine somebody's responsibility level. Oh. And so it showed you have a higher credit score, of course, if you pay your bills on time and you have a consistent payment history. Mm-hmm. So you're on top of your shit like that. You have a higher credit score. So I think that's kind of the benchmark that you would be looking for, too. This is, makes me uncomfortable because I don't want to align myself with this weirdo on your date. But I do kind of agree. Like what I'm looking for is someone who is responsible with their money. And I don't care if they have debt. I just want them to be responsible. So you want to ask their credit score. So your former single self is now asking people's credit scores. So maybe that's a better And being talked about on podcasts. That's a better filter. If I were in charge of the world, Bumble would have a filter for credit (laughs) scores. scores. Let's get on that. That is the weirdest, but also not entirely the worst thought. 
I don't think it is. I think that there are plenty of superficial breakers. You have to narrow it down somehow. Yeah. And I think that what's going to affect your life more is if somebody is responsible with their money or has their debt under control versus whether or not they live in Chelsea or the West Village. Yeah. Like, that's way more important to me. Right. Right. I feel like, in a way, what we're both saying here is that you need to find someone with whom your approach to finances aligns. No, but I think that you don't have to be aligned, actually. You don't have to agree. You have to be compatible. And so I think you just need to know. So it's not that you necessarily need to both prioritize flying first class on vacation, but you need to be okay with the other person's habits and know them up front and be really transparent about it. Do you think that our approaches to this differ or anybody's approaches to this differ based on your own personal experience with debt? It's everything to do with it. I, so I would have thought that, but I, but like I, I will, I will admit something to you here, which is that like I haven't carried debt, hmm. which I think probably makes me more open to somebody else's debt. Oh, interesting. Because I yeah. haven't experienced the pain of it. I'm just really, really fortunate. I'm just super fortunate. I didn't have student loans. It must be nice to be Jason Five. It, it, well, you know what? I mean, not to be obnoxious about it, but yeah, like I, I lucked out. I just, I didn't have student loans. And so now you just want debt in your I, life I don't, somehow. You're I don't, like, I'm going to marry into debt. I don't own a car. I mean, I have a mortgage now, so I guess I'm in debt that way, but that feels like more responsible debt. You're <laughs> you know? so grown up. And because I live in New York, it's a hell of a mortgage. But because of that, you know, when I was like dating women who had who had debt, I was like, let's tackle this. Like, right. I got I got this, right? Like, you know, I feel like oh. I haven't been set back. I'll, I'll take this on with you. Um, whereas maybe if you have been in debt, like yours truly, then you're just more concerned about ever touching it again. Yeah. I'm like hard pass. You know, I went through debt myself. I went through nasty credit card debt. I figured out how to prioritize to pulverize for myself, which is how I talk about it because I went through it and I figured it out the hard way, but I figured it out and I don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. I have like PTSD around debt. So no, I'm not stoked about getting back into that situation. Hmm. It's interesting because I think that before this conversation, I probably would have thought the opposite positions. Like someone who has experienced debt is more sympathetic to other people who have debt. Mm. And someone who has not come from debt would not want to touch anybody's debt. That's interesting. But I actually think that it might be the the reverse. Yeah, I think that there is a lot of worry and trauma that goes around carrying debt, especially credit card debt that's snowballing out of control. It's, you know, for me, it was a really stressful time and I felt out of control. I worried all the time and stressed out and tackling my own debt, getting the debt monkey off my back was like a victory for me. Do I want, I don't want that monkey on my back anymore. Not interested. Not interested. Bye. Bye, monkey. I feel like we got somewhere deep here. Now it's time to see who's right. Bill Harper is an award-winning actor, author, and philanthropist who's currently playing Dr. Marcus Andrews on the ABC drama The Good Doctor, but he's also known for his financial wisdom, including his four New York Times best-selling books, including The Wealth Cure, Putting Money in Its Place, and he's currently working with the financial company Experian to promote credit management. Hill, great to have you here with us. Thanks, you guys. Great to be here. And Hill, we have you here today, not just to talk about credit management, but really to talk about how bad credit management can impact your personal relationships. Because Nicole and I look at this very differently. Mm. She feels Mm -hmm. 
like debt is a deal breaker hmm. because she's tackled her own debt before and isn't interested in tackling anyone else's. Whereas I feel like debt isn't a deal breaker as long as the person takes it seriously. So Hill. Yes. It is now time to put one of us in emotional debt. <laughs> Who's right? Me or Nicole? You both make wonderful points. Thank and you. I think they're both legitimate. So N- Nicole's point about there being uh, a button on Tinder uh, about debt mm-hmm. is well taken. But most of us are actually so afraid of money and dealing with debt and all of that that subconsciously, you know, I read a study that said folks are more willing to actually talk about an infidelity than they do talk about their debt or how much they, money they make or mm. what are their savings and all of that. We hold money so close yeah. and there's a lot of shame, right? So it gets, it gets very dicey with that. Um, and that's why I think you're right. Ah, I am right. Yes. And, and the reason right. why is because it's just another factor sure. about painting the picture of a whole person. And and I speak from experience. I dated a woman who had a lot of credit card debt, and it really weighed on her spirit, and it weighed on weighed on the relationship. And so, because you know, obviously, the number one thing couples argue about is money, and, and and we weren't arguing about money, but I wanted to help. I wanted to help improve her spirit, and by by helping her pay down her debt. It improved the quality of her life and ancillarily improved the quality of our relationship. So I think you can grapple with it. Now, obviously, if the person has a problem, gambling problem or a a, a real debt shopping problem, you have to deal with it just like you would any other major issue and help them get help. Mm -hmm. And if it gets so unworkable that helping them get help uh, didn't work, it's just like anything else, whether it's infidelity or talking behind your back or not trusting or lying. It's just another factor that either you ultimately can deal with and work through because no one's going to be perfect when they present themselves or even through the course of the relationship. Certainly, I'm not perfect. Why would I expect my partner to be perfect? And so I think the idea of approaching it from a problem that you can work through Mm -hmm. is the right approach. It does say a lot about their character, though. You know, you know what? I disagree. You are not your credit score. You know, you're not. And people can get caught up in situations based off not having certain levels of financial literacy. It's not their fault. It's just that, you know, that kind of comment is the same type of comment people make about certain communities that have very low aggregate credit. Uh, They carry high loads of credit card debt because they're just in challenged circumstances or go to payday lenders and get ripped off there, go to rent to own shops where they pay 300 percent credit. No, it's not true. It's about it's about financial literacy. Knowing that you have different options to actually solve a problem and then helping them figure out how to solve the problem. You know, life is a long journey and expecting someone to be have it right right now. I'm more interested in dating potential than I'm interested in dating perfection. First of all, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Yes. I feel like I'm running a surplus now. (laughs) Um, So we came to this very interesting observation during our discussion, which was that uh, because Nicole has been through debt, Mm -hmm. she was very, very uncomfortable touching it again. Mm -hmm. Whereas I am very, very fortunate in that I didn't carry any student loans and uh, don't have any credit card debt and don't own a car. So I, I felt less afraid of debt. And I wonder what you think about where the person is coming from um, with their own personal relationship with debt and whether that makes them more or less understanding of other people's debt. Well, I 
I personally graduated with over $100,000 in student loan debt. You know, I went to Brown undergrad, then I went to Harvard for grad school, got two graduate degrees from Harvard. So by, by the time I finished those eight years of private education, I graduated with about $100,000 plus in student loan debt. So I've been through debt. You know, all debt is is a tool, okay? You know, money is a tool, fundamentally speaking. It's a tool to be used to help you hopefully achieve your dreams, live a better life, right? And if you use it smartly, it's like a hammer. Hammers can build things up really effectively. They also can tear things down really effectively. And debt, it's scary because when you have these interest rates, it's so hard to get out from under them that you can't see a way out. And so that's why I think we're all active architects of our own life. And the idea is to have a blueprint or a plan. The plan is what gives you confidence and the ability because it's not about I can't solve it tomorrow. But if I know I have a cogent plan where I'm chipping away at solving it, um, it's just like a hammer. I'm pounding nails. It's putting up a house. House is not going to get built tomorrow. But if I keep putting up two by fours and good nails over time, if I have a nice foundation, I'm going to be able to support a home. And and I think that's what it is. And and the same thing holds true for a relationship, right? Relationships are built off a solid foundation. And if you both have a plan where you're going to help each other solve the problem, and I'm I'm not saying writing checks for each other, but help each other come up with a plan and then helping each person stick to it. It's just like losing weight. If you have a plan and you hold somebody accountable, you can help them get to the place where it makes them happy because ultimately that's what you want your partner. It's not about whether they actually have abs or not. It's about them feeling good about themselves and therefore you feeling good about each other. I just think it needs to be on the table with all the other factors. Like, I think it's way more important to the longevity of a relationship than filtering with all these other things. Like, whether a guy is 5'9 or 5'10 does not matter as much in your relationship as whether he has a few hundred thousand dollars unless, of debt. Unless height is really important to you. I mean, and you when is that, you do you. When is that supposed to come up then? How early? That, this is a great... I was going to ask that too. Ooh, when do you have, have the, the talk? Question. Hill, when do you have the talk? I, you know, I think that it comes up uh, a, a little later. Not in the first date. So Certainly we not. talked about this date I once had many moons ago where a guy asked me my credit score what? on the first date. And uh, listen, he, I wrote the book Rich Bitch. And he knew that he was trying to ask financial questions after my own heart. So, like, I appreciate that. But I don't think the first date is where that comes up. No. I totally agree. I will tell you what my credit score is after I go on Experian and boost my score. What's your credit score? It's boosted. (laughs) It is boosted. (laughs) We have to know each other for a long time until we get there. Yeah, this is just the first date. You don't drop that kind of information out. (laughs) But when do you? Do you tell someone your financial situation a week into dating? A month into dating? Six months into when, when sounds good. I think I think that a lot of it comes up organically in conversation and talking about plans and what you do, and also um, you can also talk about it when it comes to paying for things. You know, I I think that you know if you're going out to a really expensive dinner, and you know no matter what date it is, and you talk, you, it, you can bring it up. You know, it, she may offer her card and be like, you know, hey, you could say, hey, are you, uh, do you carry over, you roll over some debt? What percentage, <laughs> what percentage of it are your available credit? Would, you, would this, would this dinner eat up? 
you know, um, you know, could have fun with it like that, right? Yes. Uh, or, or not. And and you know, to me, it's it, it's organic and it's part of a relationship. And, yeah. and and just like anything else, you share. You make a great point. And, and of course, when you reveal it, you also have the opportunity to shape your story. Yes. And you don't just drop this information and let somebody react to it. You can at the same time tell them how you're dealing with it or how you feel about it. We we begin this episode by uh, hearing from a couple who the woman had held on to this secret about her debt for, mm. for what she felt like was probably too long. And so it burst out of her with, with tears and fear. And that, I think, means that you held on to it too long. But at the same time, I think because she revealed it in a way and that was very heartfelt and she was so serious about it, I think she also was able to tell her story about how she was managing her debt in a way that made her now husband feel comfortable that he could be on that journey with her. Well, that, that's the point. Ultimately, if someone's, it's not about where they're at. It's about where they're headed. And if they're, if they're actually serious about dealing with something and not delusional, but that story does, is, is also indicative of someone who is, is holding on to something that's obviously very important to them that for whatever reason they didn't want to share. And it starts to beg the question of, well, what else? What else? What else are you holding on to that's really important? But that's the thing. I disagree. I think that too many women in particular fall in love with the potential of the man and not the man. Totally disagree with you. Totally disagree with you. They fall in love with the idea of the potential, but not the real potential. And so so there's a difference. There's a qualitative difference. I give you a great example. In my book, I write about... Which one? Which one of those? My 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 book called The Conversation. Um, I write about someone dating potential. And in this case, when I was at Harvard Law School... I became friends with a guy named Barack Obama, and uh, his eventual wife, Michelle Obama, dated Potential. And, you know, he had a hole in his car. He had no money. And in fact, the first decade of their relationship, she was the primary breadwinner. She was carrying him. You know, because you're, you're talking about a guy between college and grad school, he made $15,000 a year working out of a basement of a church doing community organizing. And when I say no money, he had no money, graduated grad school with debt, um, decided not to take a job. Okay, so under your rubric, Nicole, this is a guy you would never date. Not necessarily, because you have you, to you hear have to the date whole potential. story. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think dating potential, honest potential, because you have to you have to actually meet someone and know, oh, wow, this person has a plan. And this plan may not realize its success in the first year, the first five, the first 10. But there is a long tail game plan about their life and not judging it, because a lot of people judge so much on immediacy. Um, people say, well, how come this guy, he should take a, a six-figure job at a law firm that he's getting offered all these law firm jobs. That's what he should do right now. Not come out of law school, not take a job with debt and write a book. What kind of sense does that make? But some people have a longer-term plan, and sometimes that plan takes time to, to realize. And if you're a partner that can help them realize it, then you become a power couple in, in, in terms of happiness and in terms of achievement. And, and the burden gets shifted back and forth. Okay, I'm going to carry you for the next 5 to 10 so you can do your thing. And then you kind of carry me for 5 to 10. I'm going to do this. And, then, and it becomes this pl- – I, I love to talk about the idea of pluralism. 
and a pluralistic relationship. What's that? It means that you're both rising together but creating your own realities. In other words, my goals don't have to be inextricably linked with yours for us to work. Both of us can help each other rise in our own individual ways, and that's what pluralism is. I think it's just good real talk. And what I've noticed to start that conversation, and it is awkward, like a lot of folks break out into hives thinking about it, is to just go first. Like, I go first. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Mm. And so that, I think, opens up a conversation because somebody has to go first. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that conversation? I say you do it naked Mm, because you're being you're being naked money talk. Yeah, because, you you know, you're being vulnerable in another area. You might as well be completely vulnerable in all areas. Have a money talk tonight. That's right. (laughs) Light the candles. It's business time. Light the candles. (laughs) Pull pull out your credit report. (laughs) It's really sexy. (laughs) <laughs> um, Hill, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your wisdom. And I feel like the final uh, important note to end on is to uh, strip down and get naked. Have a good conversation. Yes. So, Nicole, I'm, I keep thinking about this dating app idea that you have. It's genius. Where you can click that you don't want to see people in debt. It's like a filter. Do you think that people who were in debt would use this dating app and get filtered out? The people on the dating app would all be likely debt-free, and then debt-free people could date each other. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a dating app just for people who are in debt. I'm going to filter out people who aren't in debt. Ooh, we're going to have competing yes. dating apps. Yes. And you know why my app is going to make more money than your app? Do tell. Because there are more people in debt. I have the larger market share. Yeah, but mine are richer. Eh. And so my clientele are going to be more valuable for advertisers. Oh, that is a problem. I'm going to be on the cover of Entrepreneur. I just know it. I'm manifesting it. I know the guy who runs it. Oh, that guy's a jerk. Yeah, but he's not in debt, so he's pretty generous. Oh, that's true. He is very, very nice. He's a really great guy. Sometimes. Hey, are you subscribed to Hush Money wherever you get your podcasts? You should be. And please give us a rating, which helps others find the show. It sure does. And if you want to keep up with us on social, I'm at Nicole Lappin. Jason is at Hey Pfeiffer. And for the podcast specifically, it's at Hush Money Podcast on Instagram. We've got great people to thank. Our amazing producer is Christina Everett. Thanks also to Mangesh, Hatikador, Will Pearson, Beth Ann Macaluso, and Nikki Etor, and the rest of the great iHeart team. Our sound editing is by Mary Duke. And a special thanks to my badass NBG team, Sabrina Anderson, Megan Nelson, and Kate Garrison. Hush Money is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 